thank you for joining us for this episode of Corkscrews and Contracts. I'm Wyatt Wallace. And I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And we started this to really give everyone an idea about investing and buying homes. And we have someone really special for us today. But first, Jennifer, what are we sipping on? Today we have Spellbound, which is a California Cabernet Sauvignon. And I like it. Great <laughs> choice. Wow. It's spellacious. You're gonna you're gonna let me pick out wands in the future now. I've redeemed myself. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Brady is a full-time real estate investor and lender, having personally completed over 300 rehabs and just as many loans across five states. Mike has been in real estate his entire career and flipped his first house in 1999. He is a graduate of Auburn University, husband, father of two, and most importantly, a child of God. Mike Brady, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> for sure. So, gosh, uh, I know Texas is in your background. Tell us how you got to Nashville, though. So, uh, several years ago, my wife and I decided that uh, it would look good for us to kind of expand the family business outside of Dallas-Fort Worth. And um, funny enough, I actually built an algorithm to analyze demographics and market studies specifically for real estate in several markets. Um, Nashville was one of four cities that hit my radar. Uh, Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, and Nashville. Uh, and honestly, Nashville seemed like the most fun. <laughs> and so we kind of blindly sold our house in Texas, packed up the family, and moved here. I actually lived in an Airbnb for the first six to eight months, family of four and 600 square feet. <laughs> and uh, we just hit the ground running and, and fell in love with the people here, the city, and really the real estate investing market. Wow. That is so cool. I didn't know that about you and how you ended up here. Yeah. Oh my right? gosh. Uh, I've never met anyone that built an algorithm before. Right before moving. That sounds like some Google, Facebook stuff right now. And I'm so excited about this. this is like, uh, yeah. It was so, a random way to come up with a decision, but it worked for us. Yeah. A little better than a Magic 8-Ball. <laughs> or a dartboard, which was the other option. Right. Yeah. Wow. How long have you been here now? We moved here, so I packed up January 2nd of 2016. And came out first, uh, and I actually lived in our camper for the first two months. Uh, commuted back and forth to Dallas to help get the house sold, and uh, Megan, my wife, was finishing up her career as a nurse practitioner, and so the whole family ended up moving out at the beginning of March of 2016. Okay. Very cool. All right, so like three years in. Three years in. Wow. Seems like it's been a lot longer, though. I've made some great friends and done some, some great things and great projects here in town. Uh, so, in your wife switched careers after she moved here? Right. So, um, Megan was a nurse practitioner in Dallas. She uh, worked in a pediatric cardiac ICU. Mm -hmm. uh, and now she is a uh, physical trainer, mm -hmm. personal trainer. So, she does uh, group outdoor boot camp activities. Um, in fact, you guys got to come out and try <laughs> one one time. Uh, we sure Let did. me say that I could not walk or sit down for a week. <laughs> <laughs> she really, really uh, puts you to work. 
She, one of her favorite jokes is to tell everybody how they're not going to be able to sit on the toilet the next day. She's right. <laughs> it's not even a joke. It's She's right. Crashing into the toilet. Oh, it so is. I, I think we went to Red Lobster maybe two days later, and I literally thought we're going to have to have somebody bring a wheelchair to the car to get us out. It was, oh, oh man. You should have seen it. It was like, baby, just hold the door, and I think we can get around. Oh, God, it hurts everything. Man, that was a workout. What's, what's bad is that we do work out. Right. Like, it wasn't like we just went in without ever going to a gym. Mm-hmm. Camp Gladiator is an entirely different thing. That is for sure. It is. If you want to get whipped into shape pretty quick, that's probably where you need to go. <laughs> it becomes a, it becomes almost like a cult following once you get really into it because it, you become passionate about it. Yeah. It's hard work. It is. Yeah. I was impressed. You like kept up. Like you were really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife forces me. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> knowing a little bit about you, I know that real estate, when you got started, I mean, you were... It wasn't like you had a lot of money to play with to begin with. Tell us how that went. Yeah, I mean, so when um, when we really went full time into rehabbing houses, my net worth was was literally almost zero, mm-hmm. and because of that, banks just would not look at me. You know, we talked to several banks. I spent a ton of time putting together these ridiculous bank packages, and waiting and waiting and waiting for them to inevitably tell me that I don't qualify for their standards. And during this time, I'm like putting houses under contract and being forced to assign them, uh, you know, ha- being forced into wholesaling properties that I really wanted to rehab, could have rehabbed, made much, much higher profits. Um, and so I went on a journey to find all of the non-bank financing options I possibly could. I swore off banks. I said, these guys are evil. They don't care about me. They don't, they don't want to help me. And so I'm not going to give them money. And through that process, I made relationships with private equity funds, hedge funds, private lenders, institutional sources of money, insurance companies, teachers fund all over the country, people that just have all this money that they need to deploy. And so through that, I have you know, brokerage relationships for almost any type of real estate investing that you want to do. Um, my favorite, though, and probably will always be my favorite, is the, just the good old-fashioned private equity fund. So mm-hmm. I own a small fund myself that we write loans out of, and then I work with a couple other private equity funds as well. Um, the, the rates and everything, the process is the same no matter where the money comes from. It looks the same. To the borrower, to the title company, it's just one name on a deed of trust that's different. Um, and so through those relationships, I've really been able to build a non-banking platform for people who either don't want to use the bank, for reasons we'll get into in a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. uh, people who don't have the net worth for a bank to even look at them, people who you know are real-time real estate investors and don't have great credit scores. That's a real thing. Like, yeah. I know people that make half a million dollars a year that have a 620 credit score because they're constantly using their credit to get to get deals done. And and when you when you look at hard money as opposed to some of these other actions, it it actually helps your credit because it's a commercial loan. It's not they're not pulling your credit the same way. So just everything about non-bank financing for me, I like to get things done faster and easier. Hmm. Right? 
I don't like working harder. And so everything about a bank is working harder to get the same money I can get from a private source um, just faster and easier. And so even though now I am bankable, I still don't go to the bank. <laughs> Those guys, I, they burned the bridge a long time ago with me. Well, we put together a bank packet, and that is very, very time-consuming involved mm -hmm. um, to get rejected over and over <laughs> again and put all that together. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so. and, it, and it takes time. It takes a lot mm -hmm. of time. Yeah. yeah. What would you say the reason, or you may not even know, why is it that banks are so stringent with their rules and you have to fit into this specific box and, you know, you have to jump over all these hoops in order to get the same thing that, that could be gotten outside of a, an institution like that? So a bank is exactly what you just said, an institution. So they're regulated heavily by the government. A mm -hmm. private equity fund and therefore a hard money lender. Mm -hmm. Um, we're considered non-conforming, right? I don't have an NMLS license. I'm not required to. Uh, we only lend business to business. So my borrowers all own a legal entity, like an LLC or an S-Corp, that uh, they use to purchase the property in. Because of these, um, I'm not going to call them loopholes, but just opportunities in the commercial uh, finance space, we're not beholden to the same rules that a bank is. And so the underwriting procedure is much, much easier. The speed and flexibility with which we can work is much higher. Um, you know, ultimately a bank is a big locomotive, right? Yeah. It's gonna go in one direction at one speed and it has to change anything, you're out of luck. Hard money lenders like being on a razor scooter out there on, on Demondrian, <laughs> you know, you're just cruising around wherever you want, dodging in and out of traffic, getting stuff done. What a great visual. Yeah. <laughs> it seems so cool and hip. <laughs> I like that. So I know a lot of people get real scared when they hear the word hard money mm -hmm. or uh, they don't really understand what it is. Can you give us an overview of what hard money is and why you shouldn't be scared of hard money? So hard money is a funny term. To be honest with you, I don't 100% know what, where it came from. Uh, but I know that it, it elicits the feel of like a loan shark, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to go to a pool hall and talk to some seedy guy <laughs> yeah. and get a loan. And if you don't pay it back, they're going to come hobble you or break your legs <laughs> or something like that. I got to kiss that ring. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, a, a private equity loan or a hard money loan is non-bank financing, right? It's just one blanket way to say that somebody who's not a bank is going to provide you financing in the form of a secured loan. Okay, in the state of Tennessee, it's secured by a deed of trust, and I think there's 36 other states that are deed of trust states. The remainder of the states are mortgage states. Alabama, for example, right below us is a mortgage state, so we don't use deed of trust there. We use a, a mortgage document to secure our interests. So we're going to secure our loan with the real estate uh, and provide that financing for you. Uh, the money, like I said before, typically is going to come from a private equity fund that's managed by a couple fund managers. Um, we have our requirements that we have to fit inside of our boxes. Beyond that, we can be very fast, very flexible. I think the fear in hard money really comes from people not understanding or having, like we said earlier, just a, the wrong connotation for what the, the word hard money means, words. Um, ultimately, yes, it is more expensive up front. Um, 
you get into the time cost of money if you want to. What, what is your time worth? How, you know, if you spend eight hours putting together a bank package, what, what is your true cost per hour, right? And what, what could you have been doing with the other seven and a half hours that you have free after you apply for a loan with me, as opposed to applying for a bank loan? Could you find another deal to do? Seven and a half hours focusing on finding a house to flip, is that, mm-hmm. is that real? And so you could be making, in one day, that could be a swing of 25, 30, $50,000 because you freed up your time to go do activities that you enjoy. When someone brings you a great deal, or they bring you a deal at all, how, how does that conversation go? I got you. Yeah. I'm a deal junkie. I, I just love doing deals. I love looking at deals. I love helping on deals. Um, but when, uh, when someone reaches out to me initially, they say, Mike, I think I've got a deal. Can you, can you look at this with me? Um, if they've never borrowed money from me before, we're going to go through a real quick question and answer session. It's going to get a little bit into your personal financials, but not near as in-depth as you might think. Um, I'm looking for, you know, what kind of liquidity do you currently have? Do you have any skeletons in your closet? Foreclosures, bankruptcies, things like that. Um, did you pay your taxes last year? That's important, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, if you haven't paid your taxes, you're probably not getting a loan from anybody, right? <laughs> right. Now, extension's different. You can, you can still do an extension, but if you've, if you've not paid your taxes or can't prove that you don't owe any taxes, then you know, a federal tax lien is really the only thing that can trump a first place real estate lien. And so it's very important that you pay the tax man, because if you don't, you're kind of sunk in this business. Mm-hmm. So um, get a good CPA, people. Yeah, Um, and get one that understand. If you're gonna do this, you need one that understands, you know, uh, investment properties. Absolutely, uh, real estate in general. Yeah, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. so. There's a little sidebar there, but don't be afraid to to interview several CPAs or get recommendations from your local RIA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, you'd be surprised what you'll find. So yeah, after some initial conversation, the one of the most important things that we're looking for out of a new borrower is how much money do you have in the bank. and it's not because we're saying you have to be rich to borrow money from us. Mm-hmm. It's, I've done so many of these deals and I do, I, I borrow hard money myself for my deals. 300 deals in, we still use private equity. Wow. High interest rates to do our deals because it's the best way, um, at least in my mind. Yeah. And so um, we know about how much money it takes to operate a flip house, right? You tell me kind of what your numbers are. I'm going to tell you about where your loan value is going to be. And I'm also going to let you know very quickly how much money you need in the bank to make sure that you're successful in completing this house, that the bank account doesn't run dry. You can't finish or get to a draw and the house sits and it ends up costing you more and more and more money. I'm not asking you about your liquidity because, you, like I said, you need to be rich. I'm asking you about your liquidity because I have your best interest in mind, mm-hmm. and I really want you to be successful um, in your first flip. People should appreciate that because you're an outside source reviewing the deal, and it might be something they miss because mm-hmm. they were uh, connected to the deal in some right. some way because they wanted it so bad. Yeah, it's not always easy to convey because ultimately... Real estate at its surface is a very emotional game, right? You get yes. tied up into the deal and you, you you just fall in love with it. And when you fall in love with a deal, you end up missing some of the red flags sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so having a third party like myself that will help you evaluate the deal 
and look at it for what it is mm -hmm. and not what it might be uh, can save you a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars in mistakes. You have, anytime you do a deal, you have people you run it past, right? Yes, yeah, Even in-house or a third party. Because mm -hmm. we will do that. Sometimes mm -hmm. he'll get emotionally involved on it. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let's run these numbers just so we can get, you know, a different perspective. Yeah. yeah. So. Very happy. Uh, full disclosure here. I've actually used your services before. Right? Yes. And we've done a couple ones together. We have. We not we only have. work out together, we do business <laughs> together. We do business together. <laughs> Absolutely. And yes, it was. Yeah. I mean, having having the experience of talk, talking to institutional bankers in the past and, and, and the process and feeling like, oh, well, would you like another pint of blood today? Um, it, was, it was so much, um, you know, it was customer-centric. If that's, a, I feel like that's what it was. And you gave insight into how the process should go, and it was so helpful to have uh, to have those extra set of eyes. And then, oh gosh, you know what? The project turned out about how you said it would, <laughs> which was so cool. Yeah, it's funny how that experience will uh, will be accurate. <laughs> so an easy rule of thumb when you're ready to start your first rehab project, right? You're, yeah. you've, you've wholesaled a couple, you're ready, you're like, man, I'm dying to rehab a house. I want to flip a house, right? You need to plan on, as a beginner, for your first time rehabbing, I don't care if you've you know, rehabbed your own personal residence in the past or did a rental or whatnot, if you are doing a retail rehab to retail project, you need to plan on, for your first one, having four you know, one twenty-five percent of your total loan amount in the bank. So, if you're planning on borrowing a hundred thousand dollars for your acquisition and your rehab, you need to have twenty-five thousand liquid. That's not credit cards. That's liquid in the bank. That's going to help you cover some of the mistakes that you're going to make. Mm -hmm. After you've done three or four, and you've kind of learned from some of those mistakes, you can drop that number down to about twenty percent. I don't recommend anybody trying to bootstrap a deal with less than 20% cash because at some point in time, you're going to get a cash crunch on that deal. And the number one lesson that you learn as you rehab more houses is that it's not how strong your contractor is. It's not how fast he works. It's not even how much, you know, how deep you buy the house. It's how you manage your cash, how you manage what's in the bank and available for your deals so that you don't run out of cash because that is literally suicide for your deal, for your bank account to be empty because everybody's got their hand out on Friday. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a way to pay them, what are you gonna do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, this, yeah, the landscape is really strewn with a lot of investors who got in, bought all the materials, got started, and then there's just, there's a house with no front door on it because they couldn't <laughs> afford it. That's actually, you, you just brought up a good point, a t little tip that I'll give. Um, you don't need to go buy all of your materials at the beginning. A lot of people think that I have to go to Home Depot and I have to buy everything at once in order to get a discount. Mm. You can go to Home Depot, go visit with the pro desk, tell them you're going to be flipping a house. This is my material list. You open up something called the bid room. Okay? You tell the pro desk, I want to open a bid room. They're going to price every material that you believe you need for that project, and they're going to give you a cost on it right then and there, right? So you've got a total material budget cost from Home Depot for that project without spending a penny. Did you know you could do that? I did not know. I'm either. a Home Depot pro. I did not know this. <laughs> you then go back at your leisure and purchase portions 
of that project, as long as you spend at least a thousand dollars a month, your bid room will stay open. Which is very doable. Oh yeah, super easy. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. super easy. Very good to know. That is very good. To yeah, know. a little uh, I guess a hack. Home Depot hack. Home Depot. <laughs> hack. Yeah. So if somebody wants to use hard money, how do they find a hard money lender? Uh well. Call me. Yeah. <laughs> like, He's you can right here. So uh, we can't, there's uh, four states I can't lend in. Nevada, Wyoming, uh, North and South Dakota. Okay. Everywhere else is fair game. Um, now, I don't necessarily have a private equity fund to lend in all, the, all of those states, but I do have institutional money, non-bank institutional money. Think okay. like hedge funds. Okay. Um, Blackstone, biggest real estate fund in the nation. They're a hard money lender. And they have several outlets for that. Wow. And so we can leverage those groups uh, to get you financing in almost any state. Okay, so to be a little bit more specific, if they live in Tennessee and want to do a flip in South Dakota, you couldn't, or if they live in South Dakota and want to do a flip in Tennessee, do either one of those matter so for lending? So it's where the deal is. <laughs> huh. So we can't lend on a deal in South Dakota. Okay. I don't care if your driver's license is South Dakota. Okay. Honestly, we can even, like, if you are a Canadian citizen, we can still lend to you. So Mike's link to his website will be on ours. That's right. So you can get to him. Because quickly. that's, yeah, because it's about speed, and, yeah, that's... You can yeah. you can have your your next flip by the end of the week. That's right. <laughs> our, our application actually is right on the website, and um, you'll get a response from us with within one business day. Initial underwriting will be complete within 48 hours, uh, and we'll be able to tell you whether or not we can do that deal. Okay. Close four or five days later. So when wow. they're comparing to whether they whether or not they should use hard money, uh, what kind of numbers should they run to say, like, this is the best option? Okay. Yeah, so I've actually got an example prepared. That's a great lead-in, Jennifer. Thank you. Oh, no problem. <laughs> it's like you do this for a living or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned over the last, like... 19 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) So I've actually got a really good example here for you guys. And so um, for those of you listening at home or at the office, if you'll press the pause button and go grab a pen and paper, uh, I'm going to go through a real quick example of using uh, bank money versus a hard money or private money loan. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, once you get that piece of paper together, we're going to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Real estate investors looking for a quick close and no appraisals? Reach out to Mike Brady at PropertyRecycle.com. They are a large private equity firm with that personal touch. Property Recycle offers an easy online application, no appraisal requirements, and can close within five days. Ditch your slow, expensive lender and get the money you need today. Call Mike Brady at 615-806-7500. Again, that is 615 615- 806-7500 or visit propertyrecycle.com. Visit our friend Bradley T. Bald, licensed attorney at the Road Title and Escrow LLC, where he counsels and facilitates clients in various commercial and residential transactions. In addition to his real estate practice, Bradley is an attorney for Keller, Turner, Ruth, Andrews, and Gannon PLLC in the firm's sports, entertainment, and corporate practice. Bradley is also a Rule 31 mediator in the state of Tennessee. Again, that's Bradley T. Bald at the Road Title and Escrow. Give him a call. Uh, 
pen out. I'm ready to do this with you. All right. Let's do this. So on this piece of paper, I want you to draw a line right down the middle. Write bank on the left, private money on the right. When you're evaluating which source of money to use, you need to use the cash on cash return principle. Cash on cash is my favorite evaluation tool for real estate because it is the only evaluation tool that actually takes debt into account. When you think about cap rates, I'm sure you've all heard about cap rates. So oh, yeah. cap rate this, cap rate that. If it's not at least a 10, I'm not touching it. <laughs> cap rates don't even take into account debt. They no. only take into account net operating income. So insurance expenses and taxes. Your principal and interest is not taken into account on your cap rate. And so it's for those of us who don't have millions of dollars of cash laying around to acquire real estate. Right. Speak for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, wait, <laughs> like you so, don't have that? <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't even know how you got in here. Uh, <laughs> concierge, could you see this man to the door? <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Principle of leverage is key, though, Wyatt. <laughs> I'm going to change your mind by the time I leave. I'm down. Let's hear this. <laughs> All right, so uh, using a cash on cash basis, we're going to look at a deal that is identical numbers, but we used a bank for financing and we used a private lender for financing. And so for easy money or in easy numbers, I want you to write down a $100,000 deal on each side of your piece of paper. 100,000. So it's a total $100,000. And it's on the left side and it's on the right side of the page, so. All right, and so on a bank note, um, banks will require you to put down 20%. And so what I'm going to lead into this deal, the only variables that I'm putting into these numbers are the things that are not constant among both. So your rehab, your taxes, your insurance, those are all numbers that you need to take into account when you're evaluating a deal. Yes. But for this example, this is just a net return example. And so those numbers are going to be fixed on both sides. The percentages will actually carry the same just your actual profit numbers will be different based on your expenses. Ooh. But your expenses are identical for each one except for your interest, which I'm gonna account for. So on the bank side, write um, $20,000 down payment because a bank requires a 20% down payment, mm -hmm. which 20% of 100,000 is 20,000. Under the private money side, I want you to write down a $10,000 down payment because we will lend you up to 90% of your purchase price. I like the way this is starting. Uh, banks right now, this is June of 2019, uh, are at about 6.5%. So um, feel free to make that number whatever it is for whenever you're listening to this. Um, so at 6.5% on a six-month note. And I'm gonna do the math here with you so that I don't get ahead of you. Yeah, and to make this clear too, this is not 30 year terms on this. They know what's going on, so that's why that percentage is higher than your standard. Right, these are commercial notes, right? This, are, this is not a Fannie Freddie right. loan that you got from your mortgage broker. This is you go to the bank and you're talking to the commercial lender at the bank. Um, the regions and the chases, they're not gonna give you this loan. No. Don't even bother going to try. You need to look at community yeah. banks. You need to look at uh, regional banks. In this example, we've got an $80,000 banknote. So 80,000 times 0 .065 equals, that's $5,200 if you're gonna hold the note for the entire year. However, most people flip a house in about six months, in and out. Mm -hmm. So we're just gonna divide that by two because that's half a year's interest. $2,600 in interest. Write that down under the bank side. 
Most banks charge a 1% origination fee. So in this case, it's going to be $800. Mm -hmm. And that fee is paid at closing? At closing when you purchase the property, when you originate the loan. So we're going to say your total bank soft cost, which is your interest and origination fees, we're not taking into an account uh, the appraisal, mm -hmm. um, which will be between $300 and $500. Please take that into account because uh, many private equity lenders don't require appraisals. Um, most of my loans we do without appraisals, but keep in mind that that expense may exist. You recommend if you're, on a personal note, if you're doing a flip or um, buy and hold, you always get appraisals before? Uh, I don't. Uh, I feel comfortable evaluating the deal myself, and when I speak with my lender, if we're on the same page, then there's really no need for an appraisal as long as you know, your lender's an experienced person who understands what they're looking at. Um, if you get the feeling that that relationship isn't there or that you're not certain of what you think that house will sell for, get an appraisal. There are tons of appraisers around that will, you don't have to go through a bank or go through a lender to hire. Um, again, check with your local RIA. There are several appraisers, I guarantee, that are members uh, that will be happy for $400 to go out and give you what's called a subject to appraisal. Um, it's important maybe to know the difference between as-is and subject to. So an as-is appraisal is what that house should sell for on the open market in its current condition. The subject to appraisal is what the house should sell for subject to the repairs that you plan on making to it. And so you tell that appraiser what you're planning to do to the house, and he's going to say, okay, if you do all of this and you do it right and, and everything is the way it should be, the house should sell for this on the open market retail. Um, and so when you get when you order an appraisal for real estate investment purposes, make sure you get an as-is and a subject to. It's important to know. Good to know. Thank you. And you generally know you're getting a really good deal when you're buying at 80% of as-is value. That's kind of the golden rule. Okay. All right. So back to our example here. On the bank, uh, the bank loan, the soft cost of this, so the interest and the origination fees total out to $3,400. Now, in this example... We're going to say we sell this house for $140,000. Woohoo! All right. So, uh, again, remember all of your other hard costs and overhead we're not taking into account here. So, this is like, this is going to be like HGTV math, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fake profit numbers. But the percentages are going to work out the same. Okay. So, please make sure you're including your overhead when you, uh, when you calculate a deal. Um, and so, in this example, we have 140000 sale price. We're going to pay off $80,000 in bank debt. And we had $3,000 and $3,400 in interest and origination expense. And so our uh, gross revenue on this project is $40,000. Our net revenue on this project is $36,600. Now, the important evaluation tool here, the cash on cash calculation, right? So, um, your cash in this deal is $20,000, all right? You put $20,000 down, that was your initial investment. Mm -hmm. So in this deal with bank financing, you had a 183% cash on cash return. That's actually a really good cash on cash return, right? Yeah. Anywhere 
You can't get that at the stock market over six months. No. no. You can't get that in really any investment, especially secured, like yeah. real estate is. 183% on your money in six months. That's nuts. That's right? almost doubling your money in six months. Uh, almost doubling your money in six months. Man, oh man. So we're going to do the same math, though. We're going to do it with private equity where we had 10% down. So on the right side of your paper, mm -hmm. you've got $100,000 written down. You've got $10,000 down payment written down. Mm -hmm. Our interest rate, typically for our borrowers, is 12% APR, and we have a three-point origination fee. Now, stay with me, people. I know that sounds astronomically high, yeah. but remember, the important thing here is the cash-on-cash -cash return, not what the interest rate is. So what I'm going to show you here is why it's better for you to pay these higher interest rates than it is to go to the bank. Mm. All right, same deal. You put $90,000 down, right. or you get a $90,000 loan because you put $10,000 down. So 12% on $90,000. I hope you guys are doing this math with me to yeah. make sure I'm right because I've already been wrong once, right? But if you're <laughs> driving, just wait and replay this. That's right. <laughs> so your eight, your annual interest would be $10,800. We're going to be in and out of this deal in six months. We're going to divide that number by two. Your total interest is $5,000, $5,400, This is all on the right side of the paper. All on the right side of the paper under private money, private equity. The, uh, the origination fee on that $90,000 loan, 90,000 times 0 0.03, $2,700. So your total soft cost on this one, $5,400. Or, uh, I'm sorry, $8,100. Man, I need to get better at these numbers, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just stop giving you the wine. Right? He's um, <laughs> doing math, y'all. Math, math and wine. Math and wine. Okay, so you're looking at this piece of paper and you're like, Mike, I paid almost $5,000 more oh, out of my profit in order to use private money. Yeah. That makes no sense whatsoever. You just <laughs> ate. $5,000 in my profit. Not quite, but almost, right? That mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense to me, Mike. Why would I do this? Yeah. All right, so we sold the house for 140000 Big payday. Woohoo! Woo Subtract out the um, purchase price of 100000 yeah. Subtract out the interest and origination of 8100 yeah. You're going to end up with a net revenue of... 31900 Now, you're looking at this and you're saying, Mike, with the bank I made $36,600. With yeah. you, I made $31,900. you are a crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it, I get right? It. But profit doesn't take into account your cash on cash return. Yeah. Okay? So we're going to take the $31,900 profit. We're going to divide it by our down payment of $10,000 because that was our initial investment. So what is our return on our investment? 319%, all right? Yes. So with the bank money, we made 183% on our money. With hard money, private money, whatever you want to call it, you made 319% on your money. I like to use apples and apples here, folks. Literally the first deal almost doubled your money in six months, but with private money, you tripled your money in six months. Exactly. Um, and then we can we can get back into the time value of money here, right? So 
you spent eight hours getting a bank loan and then waiting three weeks for them to get back to you after they have their slow appraiser out there and they check all their underwriting guidelines and this, that, and the other to find yes. out whether or not you get the loan. Or you apply on my website, takes 30 minutes, we get back to you within the day. Um, you saved, like we said earlier, seven and a half hours per preparing a bank package. Mm -hmm. If you could use that seven and a half hours to go find a second deal, if you had the same money available for the bank as you do for us, you can do two deals with $20,000. Well, and what I've seen from you being a lender, a hard money lender, is that you don't, you're not always there, like, what's going on? Like, calling them, making sure the money's coming back. You just want to know what happened. It went out, and you want to know it's coming back by that six-month mark, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not constantly, you're not constantly calling and on the person. No, we're not micromanagers. Right. <laughs> Which is the banks normally are. Yeah, they can be. That's for, that's for sure. Um, so one last thing I want to add to this example, folks, if you'll write this down. Um, where you got the $31,900 in net revenue under the private equity loan, multiply that times two. Because with $20,000, you can do two of these deals at once. Mm. And so at that point in time, you're making 319% on your full 20,000 because you're doing two deals at once. Your net revenue is now $63,000 as opposed to 366. Wow. So yes, you paid more for the money, but you freed up your time. You increased your cash on cash return through the principle of using higher leverage. Um, and you have effectively printed more money by going the easier route. Understanding your numbers is key. Like just being scared by a 12% interest rate doesn't do anybody any good. Right. You have to understand what that money working for you can do for you. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, thank you. absolutely. Walking us through that, uh, I can feel the anxiety of our listeners going down tremendously. <laughs> and it's exciting. It's, it's no joke. Like, man, you know, they're all getting out calculators on the regular now. I feel like uh, I'm going to go buy a new... Texas Instruments as soon as we're done with this. Pre pressing rewind. Yeah. To hear it over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry I stumbled over my uh, my numbers a little bit, but if you listen closely, I got them all in there. Exactly. <laughs> Every one of them. That's right. Um, so, and you can always reach out to me and I can go through this with you individually if you would like. Um, we do have uh, a couple of really cool tools that I can provide. Um, they're going to be uploaded to my website, but they're not there yet. Uh, we're doing a little revamp. But um, I have a calculator that you can put in your purchase price, your after repair value, and your rehab amount. It'll tell you what we would lend up to, what your cost to close should be, what your cash needed to close should be, and how much money you should have in the bank in order to complete the project safely without running out of money midstream. Um, managing your cash is definitely key in that process, though. So. Uh, it's, it's important to remember that every time money leaves the bank account, you need to keep track of it. McDonald's Insurance and Financial Services is the premier insurance and financial services agency, locally owned and operated, having locations in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas. Their company works with only the most reputable insurance companies to give you the best coverage for your needs. Call 901-451-3811. Again, that's 901 901- 451-3811 for McDonald's Insurance and Financial Services. In the South, their roots run deep, giving First Bank the strength to keep branching out, reaching high. 
First Bank's history of success is grounded in their fresh approach to banking that is more local, more accessible, and more empowering. Which is why switching to First Bank feels like a breath of fresh air. Locally underwritten, contact Tyler Allen, your local commercial lender today at 615-390-3592. NMLS number 979-885. Networth Realty of Nashville is growing wealth in Tennessee by providing people across the Nashville metropolitan area with the tools and expertise they need to succeed in the residential real estate market. Their specialists understand the ins and outs of Nashville and are experts at locating undervalued properties in the city's most desirable neighborhoods. That's Net Worth Realty of Nashville, 615-823-2777. What do you see for the industry? Like, where are things going? Is it, um, we'd spoken to a, a personal uh, lender as far as loans go for, you know, like a personal home and that sort of thing. And he said that there's a lot of consolidation going on in their their industry. Um, what do you see as far as what, what you do? So back in 2008, um, money really got tight for everybody. I know some real estate investors that, you know, went from being millionaires to nearly bankrupt in the crash. Um, I mean, literally hanging on by the skin of their teeth, out there trying to finish up houses themselves because they can't afford to pay their crews, renting out brand new homes at half of market rate just to try to cover interest payments. I mean, just scraping by, right? The biggest reason for that is the contraction and the availability of money. Banks weren't lending. Banks were calling notes. The private hard money style industry didn't really exist yet. There were a handful of private money lenders that existed in 2008. Most of them were on the West Coast and most of them got really scared too. And so they weren't lending either. Mm. The next time we have a down cycle in real estate, the availability of money is going to be so much easier to get, so much more freely available um, that I, I personally believe that real estate investors will help keep the next downturn in the cycle from being too extreme because they're going to continue to be able to put product out. They're going to continue to be able to operate and keep workers busy, keep houses available. Now, are they going to sell as fast? Probably not. Are they going to sell for as much? Probably not. Are some people going to get hurt in the process? Absolutely. But the wise uh, and experienced real estate investor will continue to buy on their numbers, understanding that their numbers are dropping mm -hmm. because the sale prices are dropping. It's that first three months in a downturn when you don't see it coming that you have to be the most careful of. My goodness. Mm -hmm. uh, but the good news is that lenders like myself will be around in the next down cycle. There will be liquidity available for you to take advantage of these deeper discounted deals. The more highly motivated sellers, the lack of competition for those that don't have relationships with people like me or those who uh, maybe were over leveraged to begin with and don't have the cash to take advantage of some of these deals. So um, I truly believe that in the next down cycle that the availability of money is going to help soften it. It's going to help keep real estate investors in business uh, and it's going to help pull us out of that cycle faster. When is that going to happen? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. Too many factors at play. 
you do all kinds of real estate. Yeah. And I know you have a good story for us. <laughs> mm. Probably many good stories. I have a ton of stories <laughs> that I can tell over my career. Um, but, you know, a recent one, um, one of my borrowers, she uh, got started, uh, and I'm not going to share any names, um, but she got started in real estate investing, I guess, about a year and a half ago. Um, she got her general contractor's license. She was working for a builder for a while and saved up enough money. And that combined with a uh, home equity line of credit was able to go buy her first deal. So the first deal that she did uh, was with me as the lender. I was a little house in a town uh, right outside of Nashville Hill called Old Hickory, right on the lake. Um, tiny little house. I think it was like 880 square feet. Oh, yeah. She got in there and she tore out all the floor joists herself. And this, she's not a, she's a little bitty thing. Yeah. She's in there just getting after it. <laughs> and so I decide I'm going to go check on her and just see how things are going. It's her so first nervous. one. I haven't been by. <laughs> I'm just going to go see what's going on. And so I'm walking up to the house um, and, you know, the, the front door is open. So we just kind of walk in and knock, no response. And we hear uh, a tile saw or something going in the backyard. So I just walk through the house. I walk in the backyard and as soon as I step out the door, I'm greeted by this little woman holding a Colt 45 pointed at my head. Oh with my headphones God. On. She, she had seen something out of the corner of her eye and didn't know who I was or anything else. So she pulled that pistol on me and whoo, did I jump. <laughs> and whoo, did I jump. And um, obviously the gun went away very quickly when she recognized me but she had been wearing ear protection while she was cutting tile and just kind of caught movement out of the corner of her eye and was protecting herself um she has since gone on to do five six more projects uh with me and even here in north nashville set a high comp record uh did I, you go check on her again <laughs> I, I always called the white flag before you I got in the backyard called first from then on out wow <laughs> oh that's a great story because i know i i carry but it's because certain areas you need to make sure you can protect yourself absolutely so good good for her yeah. sorry She's <laughs> <ready>. <laughs> i'm glad it worked out oh man positive that's a good Whoa. one <laughs> So good. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. It was awesome, guys. I enjoyed thank this. You. It's by fast. Dude, <laughs> those are the good ones. They are. Corkscrews and Contracts. Podcast copyright 2020-2021.